On today's episode of Preach Impediments, we discuss postmodernism. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Before we get started in today's topic, let me remind you to go and check out EdenHollow.com. This is the company I started to start publishing some Bible study guides and spiritual books, but we're starting to branch out into some fiction and even talking to some other authors. We'd love to have you check out what's going on at EdenHollow.com. Now let's jump into today's episode. When the topic of postmodernism came up, I immediately thought of Shane Scott. He was a college professor of mine back from 20 plus years ago, and he and I have maintained a friendship ever since. He was a Bible professor, and he is just an extraordinary explainer of difficult things with an incredible knack to make those things simple. So when you take an idea like postmodernism, we definitely need someone with that skill set. Shane Scott is a preacher in the Tampa, Florida area. He preaches with the Val Rico congregation there, and he has recently started teaching again at the school where he and I first met. I'm excited to have this conversation with him, so let's dig in. Postmodernism, obviously not a word found in scripture, uh, but a word that has incredible ramifications for us as Christians today. Let's start with the definition. Give us the definition of postmodernism. Well, I think the best way to define postmodernism is to first know what modernism is. And I think the best way to know what modernism is is to know what you might call premodernism. So, premodernism just refers to the uh, the view of things from the ancient world, like the world of the Bible, and specifically in this context with regard to the issue of truth itself. And the premodern view of the world would say, just like the book of Proverbs says, to uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So uh, what you might call a pre-modern view of things says that truth exists and that it must be revealed to us by God. And of course, from a biblical point of view, we think it's revealed through scripture, which is inspired by God. And also some things are revealed through nature. Uh, Psalm 19 says, uh, Romans 1 says, and then most of all, of course, through Jesus Christ, who is the word uh, of God. So that's what you would call a pre-modern view of things. Then a modern view of things says, well, truth exists, but it does not have to be revealed to us supernaturally. Instead, human beings by unaided reason can discover the truth on, on our own. And so this would be the view that that arose during the time of the Enlightenment, after uh, the Protestant Reformation, when people began to move away from you know the traditions of religious dogma, and and believe that you know these authorities are holding us down, and instead we can we can learn and discover truth on our own. I am just old enough, Adam, that I still remember 
Well, first of all, I still remember seeing track racks, which those aren't as common anymore. But when I was a kid, you'd walk into a congregation and in the vestibule, there'd be a, a track rack. And I still remember one that was about modernism. And when you would read it, it was about those who are claiming to be religious, but who are basically embracing a modernist view of truth which is that there really isn't much by way of a supernatural revelation. So in the 1900s, modernism referred to a belief that made Scripture basically just a human document um, and that denied things like the virgin birth of Jesus or the, re the bodily resurrection of Jesus. That was modernism. So you got pre-modernism. That's the idea that truth exists, but it comes from above. It comes from God. And then modernism which is the belief that truth exists, but human beings can can discover it on their own without God. And so then postmodernism would be the belief that truth doesn't even really exist at all, that not only do we not receive truth from above, but there is no truth of any kind of overarching standard. Instead, um, everything is just simply is just simply relative. And that if if anybody claims to believe in the truth, they're really using that claim for truth to create a story that can help them to get power, to obtain power and to maintain power. So that is that would be a, a way to understand what postmodernism is. If I were to sum that up, I would say pre-modernism teaches that truth is revealed. Modernism teaches that truth is reasoned. And postmodernism teaches that truth is relative. That is excellent. And I think you got three R words. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, that is top flight preaching right there. That, that's what and we do. Three points always. <laughs> and they are alliterative. So that is fantastic. That, yeah, that's a great way to, that's a great way to summarize it. I, I know you can look at this from a historical perspective and try to you know stick a certain uh, set of decades attached to each one mm -hmm. of these. When would you say each of these probably had their heyday? Sure. I would say that, you know, roughly speaking, um, this what we just described as the pre-modern view of things would be basically human history up until the time of uh, what sometimes is called the Enlightenment. You know, the, the time when a lot of scientific knowledge was developed, a lot of uh, technological uh, breakthroughs were made. And when human beings really started to realize how much we could actually uh, develop and discover and invent then that, of course, naturally led to a, you know a great confidence in human reason and ability. So then, I would say the modernist period uh, would have started, like with the time frame of the Renaissance. And then I think that probably most people would see the the twentieth century as a time when postmodernism really starts to develop. Although it's easy to kind of break this down like this for the purposes of our discussion, you can you can see in the biblical text people who very much are voicing a postmodern view of reality, which is to say that there is no such thing as truth. You can think of Pilate's question in John 18 when he's interrogating Jesus about the nature of his kingship. And Jesus says that he came to bear witness to the truth. And, and Pilate, you know, brushes him off by saying, what is truth? You know, that's really a, basically a postmodern kind of conception of things. Or you can even think about the uh, the end of the book of Judges, Judges 17 through 21. Sometimes people call it the uh, the appendix or uh, the conclusion or the epilogue. But, you know, there is that recurrent phrase in Judges that there was no king in the land 
everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So I think it's important to understand that, you know, you do have these trends or currents in history, but also you can see examples of postmodern thinking. Anywhere there are people who decide that what matters most is power rather than truth, then that would be an example of, of postmodernism as well. But yeah, you would think of the pre-modern period as a time before the Enlightenment and the modernist period starting with the Enlightenment and then the postmodern period, I think, probably in the 20th century. Okay. It's interesting to me, again, thinking about these three different ones, I, I see how each of these three even still have a presence in the way that we think today. Uh, you know, I, I'm just thinking through the Bible classes that I've taught over the years and how often it is that I've presented scripture in the sense of, well, this is what's revealed, but how often have I presented apologetics and scriptures from a, okay, well, we can reason our way through these things, which is modernism. And then, hey, what does this passage mean to you? <laughs> which is a postmodernistic approach. Taking that understanding, does that mean postmodernism is good? bad? Is it something that is neutral? How should we approach this idea that truth is relative or truth means what it means to you? Yeah, that's those are great questions, Adam. And what I would say is that the modern view of things, which places great emphasis on human rationality and reason, obviously goes too far in denying any supernatural revelation or source of truth. But the fair point that was made during the Enlightenment is there was a lot of tradition and dogma that had arisen that was basically used to coerce people into not really thinking for themselves, evaluating the Bible in terms of their own personal commitment as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so what I think you could say is that the modernist point that you know, we do have minds that we are supposed to use. That is something very much that the Bible tells us about, that we are supposed to prove all things and hold fast to what is good. As Paul says in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, we are supposed to think through things and have a reasoned faith. It's when reason is seen as the preeminent source of truth that there is a problem. And I think by the same token, postmodernism goes too far in saying there is no such thing as objective truth. But I think that there is a humility that it is pointing us to because one, one of the reasons I think that postmodernism arose is because in the modernist period, there was such great confidence in human reason to create an era of progress. You can, you can go read some of the late modern writers just before World War I talking about how, you know, we're on the cusp of this, you know, golden age uh, brought about by human reason and technology and science. And then, of course, we had the bloodiest century in human history unfold right, right after that. And so I think that, you know, part of what led to the rise of postmodernism is a great deal of cynicism about, you know, pride in human reason and human ability and so forth. And so I think the caution that we can take from that is, we should be humble enough to distinguish between the existence of capital T truth, as in objective truth, the truth that comes from God, versus our own particular understanding of the truth, which may or may not be what is reflected in, in God's word. 
And to have that much humility to say, I do believe there is truth. God reveals it, and he wants me to use my mind to find it. But I have to, uh, I have to receive the word with meekness, James says in James 1, and be humble about it. And I think that's the, uh, that's the appropriate caution that we can, we can get from postmodernism. I think one of the most helpful things in wading through some of these larger issues like postmodernism and modernism and premodernism, I just uh, really think just thinking carefully about Jesus's interactions with people uh, where you see him on the one hand confront the Pharisees for their traditions, which had, uh, you, you might say that represents like the worst of the pre-modern instinct to believe that you found truth from God, but really you've just obscured it with your, you know, with your own traditions. Uh, and to, you know, confront them and expose them when that is the case, like he does uh, with regard to issues like washing your hands or observing the Sabbath. But then also, you know, Jesus very clearly does believe that there is objective truth. When the Sadducees bring to him this scenario about the, the woman married to the seven brothers, he very flatly says to them, you are mistaken, you're wrong, not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. So I think that Jesus gives us a beautiful model of how to, to navigate this. Modern society's favorite passage in the Gospels is in Matthew 7, when Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. But I think, you know, even there in Matthew 7, we see, uh, we see the perfect balance of what it means to hold to the truth, but not in a way that is hypocritical. Because uh, Jesus explains that, the issue there in, in Matthew 7 is not that it is wrong when you see a brother who has a speck in his eye to get it out. What's wrong is when you're doing it hypocritically, when you have a, a log or a beam from your own. And um, <clears throat> when I was a kid uh, growing up in my little hometown of Kentucky, we were a bunch of us boys were hanging out on the street corner throwing gravel in the air. It was a it was a boring time to be alive, but that was how we were. We were just taking shovels and just throwing gravel in the air. And a little speck got in my eye and my mom was born blind in one eye. So she was always a fanatic about my safety when it came to my, you know, BB guns. I was the, you know, a Christmas story kid. There was no way I was ever getting a BB gun. So she rushed, rushed me to uh, an ophthalmologist and, and he checked me out and I was very grateful for him to get the speck out of my eye. And so what postmodernism would say is there are no specks. Everybody's great just the way they are. Well, that's not, that's not what Jesus says. But at the same time, there is a way to approach these issues of truth in a way that is, is, not, is not hypocritical. I think one of my favorite passages to think about these days is in 1 Peter 3, in you know, verses right around verses 13 through 18, where Peter talks about <clears throat> uh, not returning, reviling for reviling, uh, but having confidence and faith in the Lord, and that even if we are persecuted, we can rejoice in the name of Christ. But uh, we can be people who have um, ironclad convictions, but also Christ-like compassion at the same time. And in fact, we must. That is what, that is what our transcendent authority, Jesus Christ, has told us. Do. All of this makes me think uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 25, which says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So we've gone from pre-modernism, which is all about truth, to 
now truth is relative. You know, mm-hmm. so we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. So now we're no longer serving the creator. We're serving ourselves, the created, because if there's no truth, if there's no authority, if there's no bedrock on which we build our lives, well, then the best thing we have is ourselves. Just that switch from holding on to something that is firm and true and constant to holding on to our whims as being the very foundation of everything we think. So we can change our opinion. We can change our ideas. We can change our identity. We can change yeah. our gender. We can change anything we want to and kind of custom make life in our own image uh, you know, we, we essentially, while we're not wearing the goggles, we're essentially living in a, in a virtual reality of our own making. No, that's exactly right, Adam. And I think to me, the foremost chilling words there in Romans 1 are the words in verse 31, when Paul gets to sort of the, the end game of where this, this unraveling of society goes, when he says they are foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And I mean, it's hard not to see that that is that's what's happening in our in our culture now. I mean, there are people on all sides of various political and and social issues who basically view any kind of speech that disagrees with them as violence, and therefore the proper response to it is is violence. And so, what's basically happening is rather than seeing we as human beings made in God's image who have minds that can think and grasp and discover truth. And that's what we should work to do together. Now we really are devolving into sort of this postmodern cage match where it just simply is going to be a matter of who has the most power and and who can beat up the other side is, is how disputes are going to be resolved. But, you know, like I said, even in the book of Judges, you have periods like this and they're not really new. Uh, it might be maybe new for us, but it doesn't mean that it's unprecedented and it doesn't mean that it's impossible for us to work our way through. You know, we just need to be mindful and, and cautious of what's going on. And I love what you said a moment ago about even a Bible class sometimes when it will say things like, well, what does it mean to you? What does it sound like to you? I understand what we mean like that because we do want people to individually think through the Bible. But I think we also need to just have some some uh, sensors on that can help us to be sensitive to when we allow some of some of that language to creep into our vocabulary. Well, and before, you know, uh, any of the listeners think that, okay, so yeah, the world has issues. Let's be careful because the church does too. Uh, how often have we seen in the past, uh, you know, with the, not to get political, but with the past president of, you know, verse 32 of Romans 1 Although they knew God's just sentence, though, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. And I, I've heard so many Christians over the years say, well, I wouldn't say it that way, right. but they're applauding people who do speak harshly or act ugly or live in an ungodly way. And and we need to be very cautious about that. You know, if, if it doesn't align itself with truth, with God, with revelation, with the mercy and kindness and grace of God, well, then we shouldn't be applauding it. We have to agree with truth. We can't agree with some alternative offering of truth. 
which is yeah. really what we have in the world today. No, I, I think that's exactly right, um, Adam. And I think, um, you know, just in my in my lifetime, I remember back when you were a student, when when I was teaching and you were a student, and there was a, a controversy involving the sitting president at that time who had been involved in some immoral activity. And I remember hearing so many people who are Christians outraged about his immorality and that a lack of character disqualifies someone as a leader. Well, I don't think there's any question. In fact, there, there are polls that clearly indicate this, that now, you know, 20, 25 years later, a lot of people who would have been very critical of the president of 25 years ago for a lack of character would, would now say that character is no longer a, an important quality in a leader, that there are other things that are, that are more important. And so I think we just have to acknowledge that it is possible for societal pressures or political pressures even to uh, have an influence on, on us rethinking things that we, that we at one time believe are spiritual uh, priorities. And so I think your, your comment is, is very well taken. And it's just a reminder of that the, the, it reflects the struggle of what it is to be in the world, but not think like the world, not be of the world. And just to make sure that our thinking is not, is not dictated to us, but that if we truly believe there are eternal, permanent, transcendent truths, then they, they are true no matter who's in office. They're true no matter what party is in power. And, and they're true no matter what the specific circumstances are. Well, and again, I think that reflects, as you've said, there's just been a shifting of thought. Pre-modernism to modernism to post-modernism, while the time frames we gave earlier dealt with centuries, there's a sense in which it also deals with a sequence of thought within a lifetime. Yes, I think that's exactly right. So let me ask you to be a prophet and decide where will thought go next? Yeah, boy, that's a, that is a really that's a really good question. I think that if we believe that there are some things that are embedded into the fabric of reality by God, like for example, the male-female distinction, then I think that some current cultural trends because they are so very contrary to what is genuine uh, reality that Part of me feels like there may be a point at which society says, wait a minute, we've really made some huge mistakes here and we need to we need to kind of get back to a, a viewpoint that is more in line with what reality actually is. So part of me feels like, uh, and I guess maybe my own inherent temperament is to be optimistic, so part of me feels like some things just seem to be so crazy that at some point there will be some kind of uh, some kind of reset. But then on the other hand, as a Christian who understands human sinfulness, part of me always feels like no matter how bad things are, they can always get a lot worse. So then there's that, uh, you know, there is that moment as well. I, I do think in the short term, we're facing some very dark times in our culture. And I realize, you know, our as Christians, we are citizens of heaven, but we're not disembodied ghosts. We live somewhere and we work somewhere and our kids go to school somewhere and play somewhere. So we live in a culture. And I do think we are, I think we are facing some very uh, dark times. This is sort of the time like when the barbarians are coming over the walls as a civilization collapses. But I think what that means is that having been through some dark ages in past human history, 
This is very much a time for Christians to really plug in deeply into what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ and to be very on purpose and intentional about truly living in a way that is countercultural and fostering a deep sense of spiritual growth and maturity in Jesus Christ. I think that this is a time right now for uh, for us as Christians to really sink in deeper into Jesus Christ and in relationship with each other. We may see some things collapse further, but then I think as God's people, we can also have a sense of renewal that we've seen periods like this in human history and Bible history. And if we maintain our faith and integrity in God, then, then there'll be some opportunities for growth and for renewal in the future. You know, our world can go sideways, upside down, or turn completely over. And it doesn't change anything for us because we belong to an unshakable kingdom. And thank you, Shane Scott, for reminding us of that. We do live in a world that is so drastically different from what God has called us to be. And I hope that hearing this podcast today has challenged you to be a little more focused on being part of that kingdom that God has called us to be a part of. It is a true privilege to belong to him. And hopefully this podcast has reminded you of just what a great blessing it is to belong to Jesus. If this episode has helped you, please share it with others. The more we can get this podcast out into the eyes and minds and ears of other people, the more people who can be helped. Share it with others and let people know what we're doing here at Preach Impediments. Find out more at PreachImpediments.com. There will be a follow-up episode with a little more about postmodernism in just a day or two. Until next time.